0: Are you feeling limitless? I hope so. And if you're not, we're going to help because we're starting a new segment called Ask RJ, where each week I'm going to be speaking with one of you, our listeners, on an episode of No Limits answering your career questions. This is something that I'm always doing for friends, for people around the office, for my family. So I thought, let's make it the No Limits family. Let's do this. For a chance to ask me your questions on an episode of No Limits, send us an email to nolimitswithrjpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's nolimitswithrjpodcast at gmail.com. And we're going to reach out to you and we're going to set it up and make it happen. All right, now here's this week's episode. It's
1: probably the hardest art form to begin with. First, you need to write your material. You need to deliver it. You have to have your own voice. You know, it it takes a long time to get good at what you're doing. You know, like people are an overnight success after 10 years of doing it.
0: From ABC, it's No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis, and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there and all the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. On today's show, she's the queen of comedy responsible for discovering some of the most successful and talented stand-ups in the industry. Caroline Hirsch takes us inside the world of stand-up. Caroline Hirsch, welcome to No Limits. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me here today. You are the owner of the legendary comedy club here in New York, Caroline's on Broadway, which has helped launch multiple careers in the world of comedy and Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Roseanne Barr, Sarah Silverman. You helped create the Stand Up for Heroes event, which supports the Bob Woodruff Foundation with my friend and colleague, Bob Woodruff. You are the creator of the New York Comedy Festival. And now you are also in the midst of producing a film. And I want to get into all of it. You grew up here in New York, in Brooklyn. I did. Were you into comedy as a kid? I I think from watching
1: TV and watching The Tonight Show. I mean, The Tonight Show was the the only place that you saw up-and-coming, well, comedians and, and established comedians at the time. And I always remembered watching that. So that's kind of how I knew about it. And, you know, really got into the comedy business. Actually, it was the time that David Letterman went on the air at 1230 at night. And there was a whole bunch of new emerging observational comedians around. And that was really the start of it in the early 80s
0: so you 're into comedy you 're watching the Tonight Show, but you didn 't really think oh i 'm going to put all of this together and become a club owner
1: No, that was <laughs> no no what not... was
0: the career path you were hoping at that at as a kid? Uh,
1: you know, I was kind of confused when I went to college, um, but I eventually went into retail, so that was kind of what I did, and I worked for a chain of stores in the city here that was um, closing um, so I worked for them for the many years. I was a market rep at that time at Gimbel's. And they were closing. And some friends said to me, "said to me, let's open a cabaret. Why don't you invest some money with us? And that was the original Carolines, was a cabaret on 8th Avenue and 26th Street.
0: And I read you and your friends, after launching the cabaret, sort of came to the conclusion that the audience for the cabaret wasn't necessarily <laughs> the one that you were after. It
1: was um, an older crowd. Um, and the cabaret acts were hard to come by. It was, it was, it was trying. And then we uh, brought in Jay Leno. And that was the beginning of having this young, what was called at that time by the New York Times, like the new yuppie nightclub of New York. So that was the start of, of, of Caroline's doing comedy with Jay Leno and then Jerry Seinfeld and Billy Crystal, Sandra Bernhardt, Rita Rudner, Gary Shanling. That was like Pee Wee Herman. That was like the first year of, of, of booking uh, comedians at that time.
0: Pee Wee Herman, I read, was a pretty big deal in your world when he eventually, when you booked him. He changed things for you.
1: I mean, it came to be, um, it was, you know, there were lines outside to get into the <laughs> Carolines at that point. And if
0: my family had taken a trip to New York City, I would have begged to come because <laughs> Pee-wee's Playhouse was like the show on in my house on Saturday mornings. Oh, I loved that show.
1: But this was before This Pee-wee's was before, pa- this exactly. This is how Pee-wee's Playhouse happened. He did an HBO special, but the producers saw him at Carolines and came up with the series
0: idea. And that's how that started. We always hear about the struggling actor. But I I look at stand-up comics, and I have a few friends in the industry. Mm. I think that stand-up comics... The, the struggling stand up is like to the nth degree of the struggling actor story, because you have to go out there night after night and you literally put your entire self on the line and you might get zero response. And that might come back over and over and over and over and over again.
1: Well, it's 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 very hard. I mean, it's it's probably the hardest art form to begin with. First, you need to write your material. You need to deliver it. You have to have your own voice. You know, it, it takes a long time to get good at what you're doing. You know, like n- people are a, a, an overnight success after 10 years of doing it. Right. They may get a little bit of notice about what they do. So it's it's a very, very hard craft to really um, stand out among the peers in the comedy world.
0: For the people who are in those early stages of it, how much money do they make?
1: I think it's from 20 to $40 for a spot at, at the, the showcase clubs around the city. I mean, at Caroline's, we don't really... We don't really do that. We do have a new talent night. It's to get to, so we can get to see new talent and we can get accustomed to people. And then we do something, you know, called the breakout series, which will give a performer about 30 minutes so that they can hone their own craft and show off that they have this 30
0: minutes now. What does it take to get into a club like Caroline's as a comic? How, how much time goes into the profession before they can even get to you?
1: I would say about a good almost 10 years before people start to headline there. I would say that. Um, Let's take a Michael Che. You know, Michael Che performed around. uh, He's now on SNL. But Michael uh, did something with us, Comics to Watch, a number of years. And then he did New York's Funniest. And he won New York's Funniest, which is something we do at Caroline's during during the New York Comedy Festival. He won that. After that, you know, he, he signed with a manager and an agent. And then he went on SNL, and that was that. And Michael's a very strong stand-up right now, extremely strong.
0: Have you seen any of the greats not click for a long time, and what was sort of their realization along the way that helped things work out for them, if there was anything like that that you saw?
1: I I think I've seen a lot of people stymied by alcohol Mm. or drugs. Mm -hmm. And when they get off of it and decide they're not going to drink any longer, you see how much more productive they are you have to be clear and you and you have to always you always have to be out there writing and if you're not writing you don't get any better
0: how different would you say the industry is today from the 1980s
1: there are a lot more a lot more women in the industry but there are a lot of more men in the industry so the mm. percentages are still the same what are the I percentages go, i it's almost 20 25% i still go back and i do it all the time and i look at the women that we book and the men that we book and there's still not it's still not 50 50 why is that it's just I, I don't know you know you know and i'm not saying that women I'm I'm not talking about women not not being able to do comedy, but it's a very aggressive art form. It's It takes a lot of time. It's aggression. It's a lot of rejection on stage. And women don't really like the ad- rejection. Men can put up with it a little, tolerate a little more than women. And, you know, it, it has a, it, the phrases are you either killed or you died up there. Right. So these are like, <laughs> this is tough stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying women aren't tough, but they're, just now getting into it, and I can see there are a lot of young, young women that want to be in this business now. So maybe the percentages will change. You know, when you had the Rita Rudner and the Elaine Boozler and Carol Leefer, they kind of started the trend. And then Chelsea Handler came in. She was a little bit younger than those ladies I just mentioned first. And you see more and more women coming into it. Elisa Sch- Seth um, You'll see more and more women now coming into it. And I think that That's because in the 80s, the cable industry had two comedy channels, and I think a lot of the young people were watching that and got more familiar with, with being in the comedy business. I mean, I think that's what happened.
0: Well, I also think now when you look at there are so many outlets for comedians that didn't exist 10, 12 years ago, where now, I mean, there's a new Netflix comedy special every day. There's obviously still Comedy Central, but you have YouTube, you have Hulu, you have all of these other outlets and Instagram and social media. How important is it, in your view, to break out and make sure that you're present in those places in order to capture, for example, your attention? Well, I
1: think, you know, it first started with YouTube was that people could send a tape very easily. We could get to see people that were kind of, you know, just starting out. So that helped a lot with with booking of Caroline's and the festival. You get to see people that way. And the social media is also hand in hand with kind of what your income is, too. Because the more and more people, like, like a Kevin Hart that has millions of followers and he's able to fill up stadiums. So you can see where, you know, Kevin Hart started at, you know, Caroline's Comedy Club and now fills stadiums up. And that also helped do it was his social media presence.
0: How does someone catch you and your attention?
1: Um, you know, I get sent tapes. Um, I get asked to see people.
0: When what's the it? worst thing they do? What, what's the thing that comics mistakenly do?
1: Play with the audience too much. So when a comedian gets on stage and starts what they call crowd work, right? a little too much of that is like something that I really don't.
0: Why? Because you're like, you forget about the audience. It's not about the audience. No,
1: I'm not saying forget about the audience. I just don't. I, it's, it's a lazy way. It's a lazy way of getting laughs.
0: When you look at the business side of it, what are the considerations that you need to make?
1: The business side. The business side is it all comes down to... um Dollars and cents. Filling seats. Filling seats and how you buy talent.
0: So how did you figure it out?
1: You get this inkling or just something that you feel is the right thing to do. There was no mentor. There was no one to tell me what to do. I just tried to figure it out. I just tried to figure like, okay, now when Jay Leno goes on to David Letterman's show at night and he says Carolines, that gives me a national platform. There was one thing that I learned, but I learned this on my own. When I used to watch the Johnny Carson show, and he had comedians on, they used to say that they would be at Mr. Kelly's in Chicago. And as a little kid, I said, oh, I want to go see David Steinberg (laughs) at Mr. Kelly's in Chicago. And I remembered that. And I said, well, that's what I have to do at Caroline's. I have to put it out there on national TV that when you come to New York, you come to Caroline's because you're going to see comedy there. So I had to be very resourceful. And I think, as a producer, producers are very resourceful because they've got to figure everything out, really everything. there's no book to go to as a producer because it has to be in your mind to say, "Okay, we're going to do it this way because this is going to match up with that, and that's going to be good." so it was it was I was constantly learning by the seat of my pants, but it proved to be it it proved
0: to work out. Did you ever make it to Mr. Kelly's in Chicago? I never did.
1: <laughs> I never did. But interesting enough, we're we're doing um, uh, we're doing a pop up here with Second City in New York and Caroline's.
0: That's so cool. When is that? That's during the festival That's coming up during the New York Comedy during the, Festival. New York
1: Comedy Festival.
0: What was the hardest lesson to learn in all of it? Uh, the hardest
1: lesson was to learn um, a bit of. How to get the word out, how to market it right. Um, when I first started, people were not covering comedy at all, at all. And I convinced people to come into the club, sit down, have some dinner and some drinks, and write of people. And I remember Hank Gall was writing for the Daily News at the time, and he started covering a lot of comics, uh, comics at Caroline's.
0: So that was the beginning of it. You strike me as someone who would not take no for an answer. Um,
1: <laughs> I was convincing that this was something that was happening. And you had to come in and see all these great young people doing stand up, because this was a new movement that was happening. And I, I was surely right about that.
0: Did you ever think about performing, getting on stage? No,
1: never. Why not? Never.
0: It, it's it, that
1: that's not what, anything I would do. I could never write that kind of great material. It's all about material.
0: Since creating Caroline's, you've launched the Stand Up for Heroes event with Bob Woodruff. You've done the New York Comedy Festival. What drew you to those things?
1: Well, okay, let's get to the festival first. That was an extension of, we. I did a 20th anniversary um, concert at Carnegie Hall. And after it was over, everybody said, oh, what a great time we had. It was like so much fun because everybody, or a lot of the stand-ups that kind of graduated from Carolines came back to perform at Carnegie Hall. And it was so much fun doing that. I said I wanted to do more of that so I could work with a lot of people that have kind of graduated out of the 300-seat club to take them to Carnegie Hall, to the Beacon, to Madison Square Garden. So we decided to take a crack at producing a festival. And that's how that started. And now it's going into its 14th year. Wow. Congratulations. And thank you. And thank you. We're very happy that TBS is our media partner this year.
0: You are now producing Ask for Jane. Tell me about that.
1: As for Jane is a little movie that came to me through Kat Johnson, uh, who's a member of New York Women in Film and TV. And she came to me and told me the story. This is a true story of a group of women at the University of Chicago in the late 60s to early 70s that helped. It started by helping one of their friends obtain a safe abortion because abortion was really it was not allowed in Illinois at that time. And what happened was after they helped one lady get with, with this process, more and more people were coming, more college girls were coming to them. So they just decided to set up an answering machine, and the code word was to ask for Jane, and then, then they knew what you were talking about. So when I heard this story, which I did not know this story, and it's a true story about it, it, there were a group of women who were later brought up on charges of manslaughter, because it was against the law to help anybody obtain abortion at that time. So I thought it was an interesting story to tell, since we may be in those times again around the country. Maybe not in New York City, in New York, but around the country, that may happen again. I decided to uh, to partake in uh, helping them make this movie. We're excited about
0: it. When you look back on your career, what do you think is the most important lesson that you've personally learned?
1: I think that you really need to go with your gut on anything you do, especially in business. And you need to stay true to it. And sometimes you need to divert from it, as the word they use, pivot. <laughs> but if you really, really get a, a feeling about, about something, as I did with stand-up comedy early on, and I really stayed with it through the ups and downs, because it wasn't easy. It wasn't an easy, easy ride in the beginning. But as the years went on, it got easier to do. So I, but I stayed with it, and I said, no, 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 I really believe in this is going to be something bigger than just this little club on 8th Avenue.
0: What made you believe? I just saw the reaction. You, know,
1: you, you know, it's like you know, being in retail, there's a way that you know that something's going to sell, and that's going to be your item for the season that's going to, going to do well. And it's just this instinct tells you and i can't explain it it's like when somebody makes a great movie why did they make that great movie because they just had this feeling this was a great subject that needed
0: to be told about do you ever get sick of comedy no sometimes i get
1: you know just a little you know sometimes when you're you're looking to book somebody in and you they can't make the dates to come in it's that that's the, the logistics kind of, and the logistics operations of it, side you know, of it yeah well, operations you're always you're always there always watching all all the time. So it's it's a business because we sell food and beverage, so that has to be watched carefully.
0: What's been the worst advice you've received along the way? I can't I
1: can't pinpoint it. If I believe in it, I do it. I don't really take anybody's
0: advice. Caroline, thank you so much for joining me on No Limits. Thank you and now it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of our listeners who's building something of her own. And this week's No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week is Kelly Aylers. Kelly is the founder and CEO of Ideas That Evoke, which is a social media and PR agency which is based in Madison, Wisconsin. She started the company in 2009 when she was five months pregnant is now a mom to two little boys, ages five and seven. She grew up in the Midwest in Iowa on a farm, which she says really allowed her to develop that work ethic. She says, nothing was given to me. She earned it all from a young age. And that's probably why she has this wild entrepreneurial spirit. But the big turning point, she got laid off from a corporate job when she was five months pregnant in the heart of the Great Recession. And she said, you know what? I'm doing this. She decided to start her agency, Ideas That Evoke. At the time, she says social media agencies didn't exist, but she saw this need, she adapted to it quickly. And today, they are one of the top social agencies and a noted innovator in the space. She's been recognized by Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine, and she has clients all over the consumer space, from Procter & Gamble to Cody. Kelly's game-changing decision at Ideas That Evoke was over-managing the details. She says 100% of her business is referral-based. That attention to detail, always, always, always being focused on the customer, making sure that human touch component is there in everything that she does. She even writes handwritten thank you cards and sends flowers to her customers. I asked her, what's your advice to yourself if you could go back to the very beginning of your venture? And she said, Buckle up for the ride, because starting her agency at five months pregnant with her first child with a husband who was recently laid off and in the midst of the recession, well, her story was one for the books. She literally took the change out of her change jar in the back of her closet to buy the first ideas that evoke computer. She was scared. She doubted herself. There were times that she thought it would have been easier to just go back to some corporate gig, but she knew she would be miserable. And she says in her wildest dreams, she could only have imagined being where she is today. In fact, she says in a few short weeks, she'll be launching her second company, one that will revolutionize the salon professional industry. We'll keep an eye out for that, Kelly. Kelly Ehlers, again, the founder and CEO of Ideas That Evoke and this week's No Limits Entrepreneur. Awesome work, Kelly. We're rooting for you and we look forward to seeing all the cool things you'll do ahead. I'm loving reading over your emails, loving hearing about all of your stories out there. So make sure to keep sending them. If you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as the Entrepreneur of the Week, send me your nomination to nolimitswithrjpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of No Limits. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review. It really does help to spread the word. And you can follow along with us behind the scenes on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat at Rebecca Jarvis. And join the conversation using the hashtag No Limits. And thanks so much to the team here at ABC who makes this happen week after week. Kaylor Dunn, Michelle Boncardo, Annie Osakwe, Josh Cohan, Elizabeth Hecht, Andrew Kelb, and Steve Jones here at ABC Radio. Have a great week, everyone. Take care. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times best-selling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer.